the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode number 10, recorded Friday, November 16th, 2012. Light bazookas. Time for EdTech, your education-focused AV show from the makers of AV Nation. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. With us, as always, is Matt Silverman from George Mason University. Welcome, sir. Thank you. How's it going, Tim? Good. Uh, also from the great white north is Scott Tyner <laughs> from Bates College in Maine. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tim. And the exact opposite from the sunny Cal- Southern California, although you said it was overcast today, didn't you, Greg? Yes. Hello, Tim. Hello, world. Yeah, it's it's 59 and overcast as we record this uh, right now. But if the sun breaks out, which it will at some point, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know. Somebody can take your parka off at that point. Yeah, somebody yes. once told me that, yeah. that in St. Petersburg, <laughs> if the if the sun did not shine the day before, that you everybody got free newspapers. But this was like 20 years ago. So I don't know why that popped in my brain. Um, that, by the way, was Greg Brown from UCLA. Uh, this week, we're going to talk a lot about some mobile devices, both Android and iOS stuff. Uh, video conferencing, using it in education. And uh, Samsung is giving away a million dollars. One million dollars. And you can get a good chunk of that. Uh, but first, our buddies in Anaheim, uh, the guys over at Extron Electronics, the, the gentlemen in the blue shirts, uh, have released uh, a new HDCP compliant switcher scaler that is, if it, if it lives up to... Uh, what it says uh, it will actually be kind of cool because it, it combines uh, both analog and digital inputs, which is always a, a really cool thing. It's it's um, if you know external electronics and, and and you know the the model numbers, um, IN fifteen oh eight was for years a workhorse. I mean that was the switcher scaler that you almost always went to when you're in a room, uh, mainly because you're talking about you've you've got eight inputs, you've got um, composite, you have S. You have component. You also have VGA as well as as DVI on the on that box. Well, this is kind of the way I'm looking at this. Uh, this is kind of that same device. Plus, it has a couple mic line inputs uh, with the ducking option. So, gentlemen, um, if this comes out as is and, and, and as it says here, and it does everything it says, uh, Mr. Tyner, is this something that could take over for the 1508, or is this? Um, you know, maybe the, the digital version of that, or is this a totally separate product that, that is kind of groovy on its own? Um, I think that it has the potential of, of taking over. Um, you know, this, this is one of those things that Extron's always done, you know, nice. They give you, the, it goes back to reminds me of the, you know, their, their system switchers, whether it's system yeah. fives or their system eights, you know, it's, it's all in one device. You've got some nice controls in the front. You've got a mic input on it. Um, and it's, very easy to use. It seems. I mean, I, nobody, none of us have touched this yet, but based based on what I've seen with Xtron before, it's going to be very easy to use, um, and it's it's clean and and not very expensive to install. You know, it it's it's a ba- it's for it, it'll be very useful in a basic uh, classroom or, or conference room where you don't want to drop the you know six thousand dollars on. You know some of the other me- digital media stuff that's out there, or you don't have six thousand dollars to drop. So. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, Matt, this thing has got, um, you know, like I said, it has you know HDMI as well as as, as VGA or you know fifteen pin um, connections on it, and the output on it is is HDMI. Is this something that could compete with DM, or is this in a t- in a different um, class as as a, as a DM switcher? Well, I'd say that this is so close to actually what would be my perfect switcher. What it's missing on it is HD-based T ports. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it, it's got everything. It's you know, it's for HDMI to uh, VGA or analog, so that covers your legacy situations. What concerns me about this one is you still need a second box to do your long-distance run. And it's something I actually, I was talking with Extron reps back at a show in October about this. And 
they seem to be of the philosophy of adding on boxes, and I'm more of the philosophy of reducing boxes. So I think this is great. I mean, I actually could see a couple of applications where this may be a solution for us, but the idea that I have to put another box in means I'm adding another point of failure, and, and that that's just not groovy. Okay, I'm going to ask you, because you actually talked to Extron, and I'm not asking you to, to put words in their mouth or, or to read their brain, is, did you get a sense of why they would rather add boxes and, like you said, add another point of failure? And also, not for nothing, but also add another cost. Um, is there a reason that they're into the more boxes is better philosophy? I, I, I'm not sure. This follows their traditional thought pattern. Like you said, this, this is, I, I remember the 1508. I used to have a truckload of them installed. Uh, this definitely seems like the logical successor to it. Uh, that being said, it just seems with Extron, they, they always seem to not think of like what that next step is or what that application is or that application models have changed. Because th- this, like I said, this is, this, is so, this is so close to being what could be you know, almost a perfect product. And, I, and, I, and it's not going to say that I may not buy it. I actually think it, it, it could meet some needs for us. But throw a couple HD based T ports on there, and that'd be awesome for me. Because of the uh, because of the distance limitations. Distance distance limitations. I mean, there, there's no reason anyone should be doing HDMI beyond you know 15 feet or so. Yeah. Greg, is this something as you guys at, at UCLA move from analog to digital that you could consider? And but keeping in mind though, you you do have like like Matt said, you do have the limitation of of HDMI. Yeah, and I, I agree with Matt that, yeah, a, um, uh, a port like that would be nice. We don't have those limitations too often. Um, yeah, the HDMI run to the projector, probably the only one that I'm going to face with any sort of regularity here. Um, we, we don't tend to put stuff scattered all over the auditorium, at least as far as inputs are concerned. Um, I like it. It looks like a neat box. It looks like a worthy successor to the, um, what was it, 5108, the old one? I, I, I have I, a couple I, of those, yeah, too, the myself. Yeah. And I, I don't think we have mentioned the model number yet, have we? This is the IN1606. So, um, it makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I was sitting here for a moment. It's like, wait a second. What was the model we were about to talk about? Um, going madly through the Extron page here. Um Neat box. I think it's a good move for them. Uh, small one rack unit makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and I, I also agree there that um, their their method is um, or or their plan very much is lots and lots of boxes. And um, you know, yeah, we are doing this big change over here from uh, all analog and button panels to all digital and touch panels, which. If the Infocom God's Deed It Worthy will be the subject of a session, Super Tuesday in Orlando. Um, how's that for a plug? You know, you, you do this for a year and we almost begin to sound like we know what we're doing, doesn't it? Um, um, almost, yes. Yeah, almost. Um, but yeah, one, and, and one of the things that we really that that was a stumbling block for Extron was um, looking at the systems that we sort of compared A to B. It was a great big mess of boxes that needed to be tied together, some of which didn't rack mount particularly nicely. And, you know, we build all of our own racks, and so that was that was one of the big issues for us. So I, I think it's a good move for them. I, you know, give them a pat on the back with those caveats. I'm going to oh. jump in here for just one second, if you don't mind, Tim, because I think that here's, here's where I think Exxon is thinking about when they do something like this, is we talked previously about you know finding your niche and staying with it, and so we know that one of their niches is absolutely K-12, right? Yeah. And so... Big time. H- how many times have you been frustrated where you have to buy the four or $5,000 box to do what you need to do? Mm-hmm. So... 
what they're saying is, listen, you can buy this box, and it's going to serve you know most of most of your needs. You don't even if if you want to, you don't even need a control system, right? You've got inputs right on the front. You get a mm-hmm. volume control on the front. Now, if your needs mean you need to send this forty or fifty feet to a projector, well, then you can get boxes, and maybe even you get boxes. You can get from any vendor you want. And you know a lot of the other companies, you know, we'll say Crestron for example, you always have to use Crestron. They don't really like you going out and using other stuff. <laughs> so I think that might be an advantage of what Extron is looking to do here. Oh, uh, and I'll, I'll jump in. There are there are two other things. One that you kind of just made me think of on this box, which should be noted. One, it has scaling on the box, which I think is much better placed at the switcher than at the endpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I'd rather have a unified output signal throughout my system rather than having Absolutely. to deal with it. Yep. Deal with it at each output. I really don't like how Crestron does it. But the other nice piece of it that you kind of brought up is debundling uh, the control system uh, from your switcher. And it, it was my beef with the original MPS product. You know, we're rolling out a lot of the MPS right now. But as we're looking at it, it's particularly with how we do programming, it, it actually limits us when we have these all-in-one control plus matrix units. So that, that's nice. I think you're right, Scott. There, there's a nice piece there that this is just a switching unit. It is designed with a for a purpose, not for every purpose. You got it. It's um, it's a little bit of a swipe at uh, presentation switchers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And I'll leave it at that. Oh, but why, uh, Matt? You uh, you mentioned the the distance limitation for for uh, for HDMI, uh, and, and mentioned HD base T. You recently had uh, kind of a cool experience with a Panasonic demo. Um, not necessarily the, the, the I'm not going to ask you necessarily to, to spec the, or to critique the, the projector, but the fact that of what's inside the projector, the fact that it was HD base T kind of ready. Yeah. Um, if everyone remembers at the show, Panasonic was actually, I think the, well, Panasonic and projector design, but well, we don't play in a projector design, uh, budget point, um, were announced at the show, uh, that they were going to have HD base T built into their projectors. And I had an opportunity this week to see a demo from uh, Panasonic, and it was actually the HD Base T. Uh, they have their own name for it. I think it's like Display Link or something like that. That's but it, probably but not it's correct. basically HD, HD Base T. Uh, though it, it is HD Base T. It's just it's going to be another one like CEC, where we all know it's CEC, but every manufacturer wants to call it its own thing. Uh, yes, so, yeah, but did, will it work better than CEC? <laughs> Oh, yes. yes. Digital. 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 Uh, So digital link. And here's the neat way we set up the demo. Uh, Panasonic is selling both projectors as well as a uh, breakout box. Uh, Their breakout box is actually kind of nice. It's um, two VGA, two HDMI, and then a whole bunch of video, which I'm not sure why it's on there, but it is. Um, and that goes out on a HD base T port. We routed that into the HD base T input on a Crestron DMPS 300, uh, just over a uh, cat uh, about 25 feet of Cat 5 we had lying around. We then ran 100 feet of Cat 6 from a DM uh, output on the the MPS right into the Panasonic projector. And here was the best part: it all worked. All we had to do was go into um, into Toolbox, and with the built-in program, uh, we routed it, and we sent our signal where we needed to without a problem. Everything negotiated. It was awesome. Wow. That's a novel concept. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a novel concept. If that keeps working, what are, what are we going to do? <laughs> we'll be out of jobs. That's what exactly. <laughs> we, we need to we need to start uh, really panning this thing. And we need to sure stop that... this right now. <laughs> uh, we'll be busy for a few years replacing all of our projectors with that, and and then by the time we're done, there'll be something else that we need to replace. Hopefully, something that breaks. Stop it's not plug and play. Stop plug and play. <sighs> oh my! <laughs> I didn't even think about that, Scott. All right. I'm too young to retire. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Just move on to something else. Uh, speaking of projectors, NEC this week, uh, this comes from technologylearning.com, uh, which is actually a really cool uh, education site. 
Uh, NEC has unveiled iPad-friendly projectors. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I, – I, I, and these guys have, have had different protocols inside them for a while. I mean, uh, Crestron RoomView has been in a number of projectors for a while, and they've got other, other different protocols. Epson has their own line of, of remote uh, control stuff. Scott, I don't get the iPad thing. Maybe I'm being short-sighted and maybe I'm being, you know, somewhat anti-Apple, I guess, a little bit. But I don't get, you know, tying yourself necessarily to one tablet. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And I uh, I think we'll, you know, talk about this more as the, as the show goes on. Um, you know, he, I've got two real issues with this. Number one is... Um, there's not a great um, definition here on the article that we all read about what they're doing, but it it sounds uh, proprietary. You know, it doesn't sound like they're licensing AirPlay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as we'll talk a little bit more about wireless stuff, um, I've heard a lot about people saying, "Well, you know, what about my Droid phone? What about?" Um, and you know, we talked last time about Kindle Fires, you know, or, or Kindle Fire HD, some of the new devices that are coming out, which is Android you know, based, the- also. What about the Microsoft Surface tablet? Yeah. Um, so you know, a, you know, NEC is obviously big in education. So you think that that's why they're going this way. But I'm, I'm really, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of proprietary protocols like that. And I've used some of NEC's um, wireless imaging utility stuff, and I've never been super impressed by it. Matt, is there a reason, like like Scott said, are they just kind of you know tying their hook, hook, like <laughs> hitching their wagon to to apples, as, as it were? It, it, it's even worse than that. I think Scott's correct. It, it's not AirPlay, and I, I have beef with AirPlay, and I think we're going to talk about AirPlay a lot later in the show. But honestly, if it's not AirPlay for an iPad, it's crap. Um, I think this one, like Epson has one, and I think a couple other people have one shows uh, images or PDFs or maybe a couple of very limited formats, but it's really either JPEG or motion JPEG transfer. It's not truly, um, you know, it's, it's mirroring what you would get with AirPlay. So I, I just kind of like the Epson one, and I'm, I'm sure Panasonic even has one. I've just seen very little value in it. Yeah, and I'm 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 with you on that, Matt. Uh, Greg, is this something that you guys could use? I mean, it's all three of these models are, are sub thousand dollar retail, um, so we're not talking about you know a large investment. However, if it doesn't work, it doesn't you know it, it's it's a waste of money. It it's really much less projector than I'd really consider. You know, we have, we have too much of a of a love for our light bazookas here on campus. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, this is it's just <laughs> I've never heard does. that term, but I like it. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's what it is. I mean, isn't everything coming down to how freaking bright the projector is? I mean, to to go by most of the metrics apparently on on campus, you know, this whole quality thing is extremely overrated. Let's just make it as bright as as conceivably possible. You know, if I'm not peeling, or you know, you, got, you better lower the screen, or you're going to peel the paint off the wall, sort of stuff in some places. <laughs> but um, not not to not to dump on NEC. I have I don't have much of their stuff. I've I have older NECs, and I would not hesitate to uh, buy more of theirs in the future. I've I've had really good luck with them, <clears throat> although I haven't bought any of their projectors recently. Um, yeah, this is just an app to let you download pics or pictures and um, PDFs to the projector, and so I see that as as a little gimmicky. But and yeah, I I agree. You know, give me AirPlay capability or something like that, or of like a you know like a module you can put into it to give it that capability. That would be trick. Yeah. You know. But you know, reading through the uh, the specs here, one of the other things that they also have is a is a carbon savings meter that you could turn on. And I mean, gosh, you know, let's talk about gimmicky there. I mean, are we are we trying to appe- appeal to K through 12 installers or K through 12 students? You know, as far as our projectors um, or faculty. I, so, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah they, they are at, they're absolutely panning to the K through twelve market here. I mean, first of all, the price of these projectors alone tell you that's who they're shooting at, right? Yes, right. And and the problem is, you know, the sad thing is that Apple is licensing AirPlay. You know, it's it, on other devices, but obviously NEC trying to keep the cost of these devices down. Well, Scott, Scott, know? let me ask you a question with that. I've seen Apple is licensing AirPlay for audio. Have you seen Apple license AirPlay for video? Uh, good point. No, I have not. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, heard. that's true. That's true. Even some of the. What if they did? You know, Im- imagine if we could start getting uh-huh. projectors that, you know, you had a, you had a, imagine an optional standardized slot in all video projectors. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, we might the, get there. the crickets. We can talk well, about something about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's 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 jump all the way to to to, to Scott's article. He's Mr. Mr. Tyner has become a member of the Rave Blog Squad, so everybody clap for him. Um, it's a very good article. His first article was on uh, on ravepubs.com um, on the uh, the Apple TV. And to your point, Greg, um, I, I agree with you, Scott, that Apple TV just works. However, I don't like proprietary standards. I don't care if it's Apple or Crestron or, or AMX. I, I just don't like being locked into one, um, one protocol. You, you, uh, you're right, and I think that that is um, – were you asking me that, Tim? Or yes. I, I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> yes, Scott Tyner, I was asking you. You should have been paying attention. He was reading the next article. Uh, yeah, I, I, no, I'm reading, I'm reading my own article. I'm like, who is this guy? eating his lunch again. Um, so I, I, I do agree with you, and I think that um, there was a follow-up to the original article that was actually on the blog, and, and you know Matt brought this up, I think, back in July on this, on this call um, about some um, wireless standards that are, being, that are being made. And so I think that the Apple TV – the big thing for me about the Apple TV, and I said in that article, is it just works. And so I agree. We can argue about you know, whether uh, you know, the, the Bonjour being routable or not is, is uh, good and fun in an enterprise environment. We can argue about whether they're proprietary protocols. But the thing is I literally – I put it in a classroom and sent a professor an email that had like five sentences, and she had it working the next day. And yes, for that, absolutely, hundred percent. It 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 gets, it gets around. I guess the the technicalities of trying to teach every professor how to do everything. Because let's face it, there's one thing that Apple does well, and that is the user interface and the user experience. Um, and if you don't have a problem with with tying everything down, then yeah, then then I would you know you know I would suggest you do exactly that and and you know get some sort of airplay. And, and once they do, you know start licensing the video as well as the audio into into projectors, I think it'll be a huge thing if, again, uh, you don't have a problem putting all of your eggs in, in the Apple basket. So Now, um, so Matt, I'm sure that you remember in July we talked about um, NVIDIA adding the Miracast. Yeah. And so if you do some more research on Miracast, it, it, the, it has continued um, – the, the idea of doing this in standards has continued. So Google has announced that it's going to be in its droid operating system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that might be where where the market really starts to go. You know, you run into the issues, of course, that, you know, the beauty about Apple is it's got its own ecosystem. Yep. And you, in the rest of the world, you don't have that. Well, and here's what I'll throw out about Miracast. I've you know, been doing some more follow-up to it. And there's actually a really good white paper on the Wi-Fi Alliance's website on it. And the, the neat thing about Miracast, as it starts rolling out, and this may be a year or two years from now, is unlike Apple, where it requires Bonjour to work, Miracast can work in parallel with a data network. So it could either ride on your data network or go directly from a source to a display. They actually have four different topologies based on different options, but the nice part of it is it lets you deal with a more complex networking environment than your what Apple assumes, which is this whole zero config, the whole you know home network scenario. So I, I think it's going to have steam. It just it's one of these things that it may sneak up on us, and it may be not until I don't know CES uh, 2014 that we really see the products rolling out. All right, let me throw an, an, a, a, a fly in the ointment, as it were. 
um, with the fact that it's NVIDIA, and so that's not entirely PCs, but it's primarily PCs. Um, and so you've got that working nicely with Android now. What What is going to be the future of the Surface, the Microsoft Surface, and how Microsoft 8, Windows 8, is going to work with all of that? I mean, do we see a scenario where Microsoft does an Apple and kind of circumnavigates the NVIDIA stuff and says, you know what, you can do exactly what the Apple's doing, only you're doing it with a Surface and and a, uh, a Microsoft PC. Well, they, they, they have, to some extent, they have their smart glass product, which is mostly aimed at the Xbox, um, but could actually move over, you know, uh, elsewhere. That being said, Microsoft is not known for having a strong backbone for staying proprietary for too long. And particularly since their, you know, their money comes from the enterprise at the end of the day, you know, they'll if there's a demand, they'll cave. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't really see them holding strong and pulling an apple and saying we only play with ourselves. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Um, so, <laughs> so Matt, um, I mean Tim. So the interesting thing here is to remember that Miracast is part of the Wi-Fi Alliance. So Nvidia is going to include it on their chips, but it's. It's not an NVIDIA um, technology. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that to me, you know, I really hope Microsoft uh, uses it. And you would think because of the Wi-Fi alliance, they, they would um, go ahead and, and use that. And there's you – know, if you look at the, the website like Matt mentioned, you can see – and it's, it's still coming and it, who knows how long it's going to take. But they're planning that you know, TVs are going to come out. Uh, Miracast certified that there's going to be some you know dongles that you can put in older TVs um, so that you can use this Miracast. So I I am really encouraged about the the future of that. Hopefully it works as easy as our our you know AirPlay. And we actually oh. forgot about the biggest gorilla in the room when it comes to Miracast, which is Intel. Oh uh, yeah, uh, merged uh, their wide eye standard with Miracast. So I'm not sure if they're the same thing at this point, but they're going to have cross-compatibility um, either now or very soon. So Intel's also a player on the Miracast side. Cool. Well, let's hope they do as good a job as they did with the HDMI connector. So, sorry. <laughs> I don't like that connector still. Um, well, here's the thing, guys. That, that right there is, to me, then says it's the world versus Apple, right? Um, it's if you've got Microsoft and the Surface, you know, playing nice with Miracast. You've got Android playing nice with Miracast. You have Intel, and most likely, if it's Intel, then you're going to have AMD, you know, uh, toddling along behind them. <laughs> it's everybody versus the AirPlay, and from a sheer market saturation or a, 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 from a sheer market share point, then are we saying that? You shouldn't do the Apple TV. You should kind of bide your time and do some sort of Miracast thing. I, to me, I think it all depends on, on what you're you're looking at. You know, um, somebody had asked me about that article. Well, you know, could you put it in thirty rooms? Would it scale the thirty? You know, thirty rooms. And I, you know, I'm not sure that with an Apple TV, I would put it in thirty rooms right now on my campus. Um, the, for me, the really interesting question is, how does Apple change now without Steve Jobs? Are they going to stick with their kind of we're going to do things our way are they going to say i can't imagine them ever using miracast but finding some way to start licensing airplay video easier um i think that's that's the change and of course you have to have to remember that apple like nec is really embedded in k through 12 yeah well and the other thing is is in one of the other stories we had is the fact that they're trying to get bonjour to work on the enterprise level now this is not an area that Apple has been overly successful in, nor overly comfortable in. I mean, they have actively, I think, steered away from the enterprise. Um, when people started buying the uh, the first um, the first uh, um, iPads, you couldn't buy but a handful of them because they didn't want companies, you know, buying a hundred of them and then you know shelling them out to to their various people and and now they're 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 starting to let that happen, but they are not um, enterprise friendly as it were. 
I don't know. So I, they're not, but I, here's why I think they're not. I don't think they want you using an Apple product at your business and not being happy with the way it works. They want you to be happy with your product. And so that's why they don't want companies buying a hundred of them and handing them out and then complaining that you can't use, you know, VPN or you can't, you know, obviously we know you can, but they don't, they don't want you going and getting this bad experience with their product. I think they're very protective of their brand mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Well, and I, I think in, in the enterprise environment, it's, it would be much harder for them to dictate the, the user experience the way they do in, you know, for, for everyday users, for civilians out there. I, I don't think they could do that quite as easily in, in enterprise situations. And I think that's largely where they've had their success. They've been able to, you know, make it cool and novel and make everybody want to jump on board. But they sort of dictate how, how the game works as far as their stuff. And I think that's how, that's how they've been successful in that area to a large extent. It is. If, if they can control the user experience, um, yeah. then, then they're, doing, um, you know, they're doing well. Which, which rolls right into that whole guided access article, which yeah. is that Apple never let anybody use that, that bottom button for anything. It always had to do the same thing. And now with guided access, they're saying, well, okay, so you can, you can lock that. So somebody might have a different experience while using an iPad. Yeah. And the thing I like about that is, and it just to go into it, you can basically lock your kids or, and the reason we're talking about it on this show, is the fact that you can, you can um, lock students into you know, a certain app, basically, um, and, and not allow them to get out of it. And so you're right, Scott. People, you know, different people may have a different user experience on you know, one iPad on this campus versus another one on another campus. It also makes the iPad um, an even more viable <laughs> candidate for, uh, for uh, touch panel uh, control because one of the big complaints that uh, people like um, you know, uh, you know, CAPES, you know, Crestron Authorized Independent Programmers and Independent Programmers for AMX have said is the fact that that home button, you can get out of the, the touch panel mode at any time you want and, and ruin the experience. And now that you can lock that down, you could take a $500 iPad, put it into a wall dock, and it's suddenly that's all that thing is used for. And then Yeah, and, and, and you know, even if you're a home integrator, like somebody doesn't even have to know that's an iPad. Exactly. It is now the least expensive, officially the least expensive wireless touch panel on the market, regardless of, of what control system you're talking about. Because, you know, it's 500 bucks. Or the Mini. Think about the Mini. Oh, I, yeah. don't, I don't want to think about the Mini. The Mini is a joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the Mini is a joke. Uh, one of our – a good friend of, of the AV Week show, uh, Rich Fergoza, is probably – he and 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 Gary K are probably the two biggest, I, I just the, the two biggest Apple fanboys I think I've ever met, and he of course bought a, an iPad Mini and was all excited and was posting it on his Facebook and I just put why Rich why because it's <laughs> I don't know I want to pay two hundred bucks less for a smaller screen and a, a less resolution okay. I, yeah, I, I, I love those Samsung commercials with the guy too. with the people standing in line. Oh man, do they nail some stereotypes or what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the best thing was um, some comedian. I think it was on Funny or Die. Um, put the real iPad Mini commercial, and it was, and it nailed Apple. It's like you know we wanted to to have a less resolution to give you a better experience and. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, who wants a million dollars? Raise your hand. If, if sure. we were on video, you could, you know, we could see everybody raising their hand. Uh, Samsung is. We'll put a link on this, um, but right now it's not working, and I don't know why. I'm clicking apply, and it's not letting me apply because it's closed. <laughs> it's closed is already. It, I already won, Tim. Oh well, never mind then. Screw that. They what, gave what are you away, still doing on the show then. They gave away a million dollars. Yeah, what are you still <laughs> on the show? Um, good for Samsung. I actually, that's a really re- main reason I'm, I'm mentioning it is good for Samsung. Uh, they gave away a million bucks, uh, five schools at five hundred at one hundred and ten thousand dollars each, and 
and about 15 schools at $40,000 each. Um, it was to, uh, it was for STEM education, honestly. It was to increase, um, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. So, um, the next story we're going to talk about is from the Chronicle um, of Higher Education, chronicle.com. It's actually a very good um, education website. Flat world knowledge to drop free access to textbooks. And here's the reason we mention it because of that little device we just talked about and, and the fact that we've talked on this show more than once and people smarter than the four of us have written uh, ever since the iPad came out about the death of the textbook. Uh, what these guys had was they had basically free textbooks online and they're saying, um, yeah, it's getting a bit expensive. Um, so Greg, are we, is this a bump in the road or are we really seeing the end of the textbook? I don't know yet. Uh, certainly, what everybody's talking about, I can't. I, I can't imagine the current system can uh, can continue forever. Um, even because uh, because the trick with a lot of this was even if you could get um, like a used version or something like that, a lot of these companies would revise the textbook like every year. So. Well, you have to have version twelve. You can't have version eleven or revision, you know, because they've they've reversed the chapters around, or they've done some, you know, silly little nonsensical change just for the sake of making it a different book. And so there's there's been a lot of that sort of really jerking around of the students going on. So something has to change at some point. Um, I don't know whether I'm not familiar with Flat World, but um, yeah, you know, I we'll see. I I think it's got the potential, but I don't know. Matt, he ma- he makes a good point about you know re- releasing you know version three and version four. Um, as, as a person who's you know uh, insanely going back to to grad school, I'm you know, I, I I suffer this experience every semester where I'm paying three and four hundred bucks for a book. Um, you know, college students as well as school administrators for K through twelve have got to feel this. Um, do you think that this, whether it's the iPad or it's some sort of tablet, um, will give us, you know, a better user experience as well as keeping costs, uh, lower? Or do you think that, um, manufacturer, you know, book publishers will say, well, you know what, the book still costs a hundred bucks, whether it's, you know, bound or whether it's electronic. I, I think the next step is actually rethinking the textbook, uh, and what I think can drive, digital and electronic textbooks is starting to look at what do we really need. I mean, particularly in grad school, I was reading this somewhere and I forget where it was, but they were talking about one college that negotiated with the textbook manufacturers to just buy the chapters they needed, not the entire book. And the idea is that, I mean, you know, you look in grad school, you may be asked to read two chapters out of 20 in a book and that's it. Um, and it, 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 it's something where I, I think we have to, at some point, rethink how we're distributing information uh, because textbooks as themselves, I, I don't know if they're going to really speak to those who are coming up in the K-12 system as they get into college. Um, you know, people are learning differently. People expect a media-rich experience. Um you know, Apple tried this with their textbook thing, and I don't think it really went anywhere. But I, I think their fundamental theory isn't wrong as our textbook consumer starts changing. And as people, I mean, I think we're all used to now using things like Wikipedia as part of our regular information gathering service. So as we look at that, you know, quality or not from Wikipedia, it, it changes how we think about acquiring information. And I, I, I don't know if the real conversation is whether digital versus bound. I think the bigger problem is who controls what the students need to learn for the course. And right now, the publishers want to control it by saying, you know, you have the option of buying the entire book. And if we got to the point where we're doing more modular curriculum or, you know, really picking and choosing what's needed, then that's where I think, you know, digital textbooks would take off. But it really probably needs to be the device agnostic at the end of the day. Just for the record, I don't know what grad school you're going to that's making you only read one or two chapters. So, mm-hmm. 
Okay. Because so, I'm reading my butt off. No, what Western Western governors, um, the reading that we do, will usually pick and choose chapters. I mean, I may have four to eight texts for a class, but I'll have four chapters in one te- book, eight chapters in another book, uh, which are more tied into what I'm doing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Then you have it worse than I do because I'll I'll buy one or two books, but we'll read the entire sucker. Well, so. Well, here, here here's the thing. I don't actually have to buy any books since all my books are provided digitally as part of my tuition. Well, there you go. That that's you know that's a whole other issue then. Yes. <laughs> um, Mr. Tyner, is this something where we are seeing the demise of the uh, of the textbook, or you know, is it like like Matt said, it's it just going it's going to depend whether or not you know we can re rehash this thing and and, and reimagine the textbook. Yeah, no, Matt hit it exactly on the head. Um, it's it, I, I think it's it, we'll have this discussion for a little while. You know, is is the textbook dead? But the fact is, um, if it's not dead, it's on life support, and the concept of a textbook itself is is dead, whether it's digital or not. You know, when I was in elementary school and I needed to know something, I did what all of you did. I well, maybe not Matt. Slept through it. No, I know you. You walked over to your Blue World Book Encyclopedia, yep, yep. pulled out the M, and and flipped through it. And that concept is so foreign to my children. My children would have zero idea what, what an encyclopedia is, mm-hmm. right? Because they and they don't need to. They can get more more up to date uh, information uh, right right on the web. But I think what Matt said, and here's the genius publisher who listens to what Matt Silverman said: <laughs> find a way. That you can you can um, authenticate the um, the information, and so schools are going to portals now where the information is authenticated, and 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 that people know that it's valid. I think that's that's going to be the key. Let let me jump back in here. I was I was looking for something there while you uh, when you you came to me earlier here. I knew we had done something here in, you know, like they you know. As California goes, so goes the nation sometimes. Um, but we um, – well, can I, can I read a paragraph here? Certainly. Sure. Okay. This is from The Atlantic about a month ago. This was the best thing I could find here while you guys were talking. It says, this week California took a big step forward in the march toward online education. Governor Jerry Brown signed into law a proposal to create a website that will allow students to download digital versions of popular textbooks for free. The new legislation encompasses two bills, a proposal for the state to fund 50 open source digital textbooks targeted to lower division courses, which will be produced by California. California's universities, students will be able to download these books for free or pay $20 for hard copies. The other bill is a proposal to establish a California digital open source library to host those books. And they talk about how this is going to happen and, uh, you know, University of California is involved, the Cal State system is involved, the community college district. And um, let's see. We'll then solicit bids to produce these textbooks in 2013. The first free books are set to be available for the 2013 to 2014 school year. And, um, yeah, if, if California decides on a set of standard books for all lower division college classes – I think that will um, that that'll have a little bit of an impact on on the other forty nine little states out there. Can I ask a silly question? Sure. Isn't California broke? <laughs> and I, I'm I'm oh, somewhat we, facetious, we never... but somewhat not facetious here. I, I mean, and, and I say that because yes, you say free, but they're, you guys are going to have to pay for that in some way, shape, or form. They're not going to give that to you. And and we are paying for high speed rail from Palmdale to Modesto for some God only knows reason also. So So you're saying yes, you're um, broke, but you're gonna find a way to pay for it anyway. Well, no, we, we had this proposition going out here, Proposition thirty, and and leading up to that, I mean to listen to people around here, if it didn't pass the next day we would be like putting the little stickers on everything with the price and just having a great big garage sale, you know, turn the lights off and lock the door when you're done sort of thing here um, following if if that had not passed. But it did and everybody's happy again. So I I really don't know. You know, s- state budget decisions are a little bit above my pay grade and thank God. Understand. 
All right, from bizjournals.com, uh, the guy from uh, who is he? His his uh, his official title is video evangelist from Life Size. Uh, writes a good, pretty good article about video conferencing in higher education. Uh, run real quick thing. Uh, we don't have Life Size at, at my campus. We have two uh, Polycom systems, and we use it two 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 two. Wow, one's at a separate. We we have three or four different remote campuses, and one is there. Uh, it's a research facility uh, for rivers. Uh, I'm, I'm right next to the Mississippi, uh, if, if nobody knew that. So we've got a pretty good-sized river right, right outside of our front door, so we have a research <laughs> facility there. Not like the ocean, like you three, um, but i got a good-sized river. And so you know, they, it, it's at, it's one of them is at a research facility to talk to um, other scientists that deal with, um, you know, like the, the core Magdalena folks down in Colombia, um, the Chinese dealing with the Yangtze River, and, and so these guys chat back and forth. The other one, though, that is, is on our main campus is used for distance learning. Um, the, the town that I live in, and the, the town that the, the college is in, is called Godfrey. It's a very small area. Um, and we are surrounded by, uh, by farm uh, communities. And so we have, like a lot of you guys have, um, programs for high school students who can take courses while they're, they're a junior and senior in high school. And when they graduate high school, they already have college credits uh, waiting for them, basically. And to help facilitate that, we have these remote campuses. And so all of these high schools have a Polycom system uh, hooked up. And then our, our instructors go into our Polycom facility and are able to teach these multiple uh, endpoints um, for you know for for these college credits. Uh, this guy talks about you know no child left behind and 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 you know just trying to get these things in here. I, I just wanted to bring this up to you guys and ask the question. And, and, and Greg, we'll start with you. Is is a dedicated video conferencing system, whether it's LifeSize or Polycom or, or, or Cisco, does it make sense anymore? Um, or should we stick? Should we start going down the road of a blue jeans um, or the uh, the Vadio system that kind of pl- brings everybody together and uses disparate systems, whether it's Skype or Google Talk or Microsoft? Well, it depends on what you mean by a dedicated system. Many of our systems are are dedicated, but they're dedicated carts with a monitor and a little codec sitting on the shelf. Uh, that we wheel around campus. That's really what most of our video conferencing has become. Now, true, we're not we're not big remote site th- sort of thing. You know, if you can't come here to where the pretty buildings are, we largely are not interested in you. Um, <laughs> How snobbish! Uh, <laughs> kind of outlook is that? That's not nope. a sunny outlook. That's that's a, that that's the University of California outlook. <laughs> um, we're we're elite and we know it. Um, so th- those are dedicated system. We had um, we had two dedicated rooms, nicely done up. One was sort of a small TV studio, and one was a basically a, a large conference room that you know had the had the trick lighting and everything to to do really nice video conferencing. And we've decommissioned both of them in the last few years and using them for other things because there just wasn't that that formal sort of go to a pretty room sort of need for video conferencing so if if you consider those dedicated yeah i think there's still a use for that but um i i i agree that yeah you know blue jeans or the thing we were talking about i think last month there with polycom or what Vadio's doing um yeah, you know, it is just moving to the more and more portable and like like I said earlier on a different topic, you know, this quality thing is so overrated. Jeez. Yeah, well, that is true. I mean, when when people will will just as easily watch YouTube videos as it as they will their Blu-rays, then yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, it's it's becoming more of a software solution and it was an interesting article but a lot of it 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 lot of, a lot of it struck me as somebody who was writing for a a hardware company that really hasn't come to terms with that and and then I noticed he works for LifeSize which oh yeah, he works for a hardware company that really hasn't come to terms with that. Oh, yet. wow. Uh, Ouch. So um, there goes that endorsement. Yeah, well, scratch <laughs> them out the list. All right, Mr. Tyner, is it um are we done with hardware? Is he right? Well, I think that 
in in a lot of respects, Greg is right in that you know we used to build these beautiful rooms with lights and blah blah blah. I don't I don't I don't think people care about the quality that that type of quality more, but they do care about the fact, and I think that. Um, Simon writes about this in his article that you can see and hear who you're talking to, and you know, like you just mentioned about your uh, research institution, right? If they're trying to conference with China, and every other minute they're going, "What? Can you hear, can you hear me now? What? Huh? What? And, and you know, they're dropping out. You're, you're wasting time and money. Yeah. And so. Polycom and Tamburg have got those nice QoS settings for your network and can you know help you uh, get those those stronger, better quality connections. So I think that that's the piece that we're going to see start being built into other items and other and other products uh, for less money. So I think the the big fancy hundred thousand dollar video conference rooms are gone, but the quality of seeing and hearing somebody needs to still be there. And I agree with that. Matt, are we done with quality? <laughs> well, I, I see this one a little bit differently. I see both a divergence and a convergence happening. The divergence is I think you're really seeing video conferencing going to two extremes. You have your mission-critical applications. Uh, we actually, believe it or not, you, know, you mentioned the Chinese researcher, but we actually have a active program with that where we're using very high-end uh, Cisco telepresence. Okay. And that's not even $100,000 a room. That gets up into, you know, a quarter million dollars plus a room. Um, and, and that type of experience, I think, has its place both, you know, in what we do for research for signature applications. Uh, we actually have uh, a program in Virginia called 4VA, which Cisco is a major partner of, of course, uh, which is providing telepresence at four Virginia institutions to share uh, share instruction between the institutions in a close to in-person model, but throughout the Commonwealth. And it's actually it, – it's, it's moved faster than we thought. Um, they're doing language instruction. They're doing some science instruction. And the idea behind this is not to duplicate departments that already exist at other universities. So, for example, I, uh, Chinese is one of the programs I know. I think there's a Korean program. But it's basically that every college doesn't need to have that department. But their students can still have access to the coursework. So that's kind of your high-end application. But getting on this other thing, which is you know, how do we bring in sick kids or how do we bring in the occasional thing, I think it speaks to actually what Greg was getting at, which is – the quality doesn't matter as much as the video conferencing people think think it does, particularly the video conferencing hardware folks. And that's where I actually see perhaps the future of this is our lecture capture systems and our lower-end video conferencing requirements merge. And you end up with a system which you can record from, but also you know bring someone in over Skype or via BlueJeans Bridge or something like that if you need to. And they may not be completely interactive, but they can come in with whatever endpoint they have, be it an iPad or their PC at home or whatever they need. Yeah. All right. We still haven't solved this one. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> last but not least, last, last month on, on the program, we were very nice to Extron. We were very nice. to, And we were even nice to them at the beginning of the show. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> prefacing that because I'm going to be mean. Bad. I'm just going to ask a simple question. If the reason they dropped out of Infocom, the, sh the trade show, was because nobody goes to trade shows anymore, then what were they doing at Educause? I, I Only would, question. Like, I, I, <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, I challenge anyone to... Oh, wait a second. I'm not supposed to beat up on an Extron. Um... Well, oh, what the heck. Um, I, I would challenge anyone to tell me what they have dropped out of other than Infocom and the Infocom-related shows like um, the ISC. European one. I see, exactly. Thank you. Um, I've seen them at a couple of different things. They were at all of um, these local oh, events was, and local trade shows and things like that. What was that. the one in Vegas that, that they were there right before Infocom? Uh, Educom? No, it wasn't Univers Educom. University Business. Yes, yeah, UB Tech. Uh, UB Tech. Yeah, UB Tech. I, I can explain this to you, Tim. Okay. So many, several years ago, Matt, myself, and others 
uh, we'll just say without without limiting anybody's career here, like we talked about last time, <laughs> cost extra on a great deal of money. <laughs> and and they simply could no longer continue to support that kind of expense. And so it is Scott Tyner and Matt Silverman's bar tab. Who? <laughs> no, no, nobody. Let's not get too in detail. Let's just. Oh, I could have gone worse if it was in Vegas. Um. <laughs> I don't remember which town it was in, to be honest with you. So it was your yes, bar tab. I really don't remember <laughs> which oh town it was my. in. <laughs> You're not helping yourself, Tyner. Which was it, Matt? Do you remember? Was it Orlando it, or Vegas? I, I think that was Orlando in 09. <laughs> yeah, I think, was, I think it was Orlando 09. Apparently. Apparently very good times. <laughs> Wow. I, I think they will come back I, I to the show. I think with Infocom, it became just such a gratuitous, can I say pissing contest? Sure. Um, between Crestron and Extron to see who could have the biggest uh, booth and the biggest party. It was really largely silly. Um and I think, and and I wrote a, I, I wrote a blog on this. It's one of my old um, av1.org blogs. Um, they, I, I think they kind of jumped the shark as far as the show went. They, they had no place they could go, and anything other than the the full on pullout just has us, you know, scratching our head and saying nasty things about them behind their back as if they're not listening to everything we say. Um, and um, where, whereas if they had done any sort of cutback, we would have been guessing and wondering and saying um, worse, you know, business-related things. Are they not healthy? Are they going away? Are they having problems? I, I think it was probably just the cleanest change they could make. And I, I predict they'll be back in two or three years in just, a, you know, some sort of small... They'll have a booth with their new products and uh, you know literature and stuff like that. Something real basic. See, and I don't think they'll be back for ever. Yeah, they, they you know they're they're not doing classes. They don't have people. You know, we we go to Infocom to listen to the rock stars in our industry, the really mm -hmm. brilliant people out there in the AV world. So you're not going to send anybody to this show anymore to listen to the other minds out there in the industry. I mean, Extron has made some stupid decisions, but I don't see where that's, I, I, I would be, I would be really amazed if they really felt that they were that, you know, we are a rock, we are an island sort of mentality. And see, here's the thing I would argue is the fact that there are some rock stars inside of Extron who there are. are being prevented from being at Infocom. Absolutely. And Absolutely. not only is that doing a disservice to those people, but it's also doing, doing a disservice to us in the industry. Um, you know, and, and not, I don't, you know, I'm not going to, this is the last thing I'll say on this because it, it was a funny story because, you know, Educause was, was this past, last week and I, I just, I, I don't, I still don't get it. And, and just my gut feeling says it wasn't a business decision. It was something weird. And, you know, that's just me. Well, to, to give you the trade shows are dying, um, our executive director was on the program committee for, uh, Edge of cause, and she was actually telling me, I forget what the number she said, but they had something like a 10% more turnout than they expected, you know, wow. record setting numbers. I mean, they were, they couldn't have been happier. Good. So, you know, the idea that the trade show is dying, I think, is very overrated. I do. I think it, it's, it's getting more, it, it may be getting more regionalized. And by region, I do mean, you know, the US, Europe, Middle East, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, India. I was talking to somebody from in, from Infocom uh, a week or so ago about their their Middle East uh, their Middle East show, and the fact that it's growing by leaps and bounds, and and the ISE is growing by leaps and bounds, and the China show, and the and the they have an Australia show now, and, and an India show. I mean, this is not, you know, these are not huge. You know, they're not you know 150 250,000 people like CES is every year but they're still good sized shows that that people still attend but they're they're more regionalized to to capture people where they live I guess so all right uh, thank you so much for listening that's all the time we have uh, for EdTech uh, with us has been Mr. Scott Tyner from Bates College and also one of the newest folks at the uh, the Rave Pubs blog squad thank you so much for joining us sir 
Thank you, Tim. And, and because I, after last time, I, I felt as though that I was completely missing the technological bandwagon. I am now on Twitter. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! Or I should say, I've always had an account. I just remember, finally remember what my password was. Scott's no longer a Luddite. <laughs> that's, that's, no. that's the part you're not supposed to admit to, Scott. <laughs> so, so what is your password, Scott? Uh, my, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you a what? funny story about that after we get off the air. All right, what? What? How about this? At least give me the the uh, your 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 Twitter handle. How about that? It's S Tyner at S Tyner at S Tyner. All right, Steiner. There used to be a, a wrestler named Steiner. Really? Uh, I was in wrestling when I was a kid, so it was yeah. <laughs> as in beer Steiner. Yeah, as in Beersteiner, yeah. Uh, also with us uh, down the, the, the East Coast from here is Matt Silverman. He is from George Mason University. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Tim. Where can people find you? Also, your, your uh, Not only just your, your website, but also the, the Twitter as well. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at msilverm, or my website is nextedutech.com. And last but not least, the voice of UCLA. <laughs> The voice, but oh Lord, help them! You you just got a promotion, um, Mr. Greg Brown from UCLA. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, it's it's the promotions are easy. It's just getting more money that's tough. Well, that is true. Um, t- Twitter AV Greg uh, blog at uh, Infocom All Voices, along with a bunch of people who know what they're talking about, and um, and cause all sorts of trouble on LinkedIn. All right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. If you would like to follow my Twitter, it is TD Tim David Albright. Uh, but more importantly for me and, and all the guys here at Aviation, go by the website if you would, avnation.tv. Avnation.tv, you'll find this this podcast as well as a handful of others. Uh, we do this one on a monthly basis, but we also do a weekly as well called AV Week, uh, and a, a live live a live show, an AV social show, and a, and a DIY one as well. You can find us uh, on our website, but also on LinkedIn, Facebook. And, uh, and the Twitter, that is AV Nation TV, I believe, a- at AV Nation TV. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for EdTech.